Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. So that's Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 1 through to 14. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. May your word live in us. And bear much fruit to your glory. Friends, it's great to be with you again to share in our time in the word. So let's uh, let's prepare our hearts. Heavenly Lord, help me now as I speak forth the word of God, a word of Christ, a word of exaltation. So we may be encouraged and through the things taught in the Holy Scriptures, we may attain hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I can remember a lot of weird things. Things I don't know why I... I remember. I mean, a lot of stuff I wish I could remember, I can't, like, you know, Hebrew paradigms. But I can, I can remember, there's a lot of weird stuff I can remember. Things like Shakespeare quotes from high school. You know, to be or not to be, that is the question. Tis a nobler in the mind to bear the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to bear arms against a sea of troubles, to die or to sleep. I can remember the complete score to Les Miserables, you know. <laughs> 
all the way from look down, look down, don't look up in the eye, look down, look down, you're here until you die. Which is, by the way, not talking about your life at Ridley. <laughs> in case you were getting worried. Uh, I, can, I, I can also say I can quote huge swaths of scripture, you know, sort of things from from reading them, memorizing them, you know. But now our righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely through the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Some good things to remember. I can also remember the entire Star Wars franchise, including my favorite scene, where Darth Vader says to Luke in Return of the Jedi, ah, you have a sister. If you won't turn to the dark side, perhaps she will. And then Luke does everything which every 12-year-old boy secretly dreams about, beating up his dad with a laser sword. (laughs) I can also remember everyone who's wronged me. (laughs) There's there's an old Afghani proverb, The axe never remembers the tree, but the tree always remembers the axe. (laughs) I remember a lot of axes, including certain uh, Bible college principals who made fun of my green jacket. But that's another story. FYI, it's more than one. Just so you know, it's more than one. But I, I think this passage in Hebrews, it's about remembering things. It's about, there's a big emphasis on remembering uh, in, in Christianity, I mean, the Lord's Supper helps us remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 77, is make sure you rem- remember the past correctly. Don't just focus on the bad bits. You've got to remember the history of God's faithfulness to you. And now, what I think summarizes what he wants us, the author wants us to remember is to remember our baptism. Okay, or, or maybe you were baptized as an infant, you don't remember the moment of baptism, but to at least remember the fact that you were baptized. And this is why in some traditions, when there's a baptism going on, I mean, this is, I think this is done in Lutheranism, um, the Orthodox Church, when there's a baptism going on, the minister will often get water, grab it, and then throw it on the congregation and say, remember your baptism. Okay, I think, I think there's, a, there's a technical like stick that they use to, to do this. It's called an aspergillum. Is that right, Reese? The aspergillum? I think, I don't know. Isn't an aspergillum kind of plant? <laughs> I don't know. It's called an aspergillum. I went looking for one in the vestry. I could not find one. It's this big thing and you kind of throw water and you say, remember your baptism. That, that's kind of what the author wants us to re- remember we're baptized, to remember who you are, that God is for you, and then to remember your Christian duty. And I, and I think this metaphor is baptism is very apt today, particularly in the concept of discussions of identity. Okay, Because, I mean, when people talk about identity, it's, it, usually what they're talking about is the thing that they say defines them the most. Now, for, for a lot of people, that comes down to things like sexual orientation. Uh, it can be anything from what their favourite hobby is, you know, their favourite thing. Or, as I've learned from the majority of Melbourneites I've met, it seems to be the coffee they drink, you know, identify as a latte drinker or espresso, whatever it is. But for us, what should define us, the centre of our identity, is our baptism. We have died and risen 
with Christ. That's number one. Everything else is secondary. And it's out of that, remembering that we are baptized, that there's a series of corollaries or imperatives or things we have to do. And that's what the author largely talks about. In verses uh, 1 to 3, he talks about uh, the, the topic, or he begins talking about love, having love for our brothers and sisters. Uh, and this is what Christians were known for. They had an unusual love for one another, an intense affection. You know, the, you're so, I mean, they knew about love in the ancient world. It's not like Christians invented the concept of love. Uh, but caring for one another, even despite differences of ethnicity, language that there was sort of a brotherhood or a sisterhood, a, a fellowship, a connection that defied some of the normal differences in the ancient world. This is what made the Christians stand out. And this is why the most, uh, one of the most frequently uh, mentioned verses uh, in the New Testament from the Old Testament is Leviticus 19.18. You know, love your neighbor as yourself or love those who are in the household of God, Paul says in Galatians 6. You know, love really is one of the biggest commands. Uh, Now, the problem is some of our brothers and sisters can be more lovable than others. There are some people it's very easy to love. Some are one of those challenges uh, of people that God puts in your life, and yet you're still uh, got to love them. And not when it's convenient, not when it works, but even when it's hard. And one way we show uh, love for one another is through hospitality. Now, one thing I've got to mention here, hospitality is not what you do for friends in the ancient world. It's what you do for strangers, It's for people you don't know. So when there's, you know, a missionary couple who get, you know, who have been stranded in your city because flights and they put out the call, can you take this couple in? They've got nowhere to stay and you, you take them in. I mean, this happened for me recently. My, uh, my eldest daughter was driving this, this sort of you know, combi from Melbourne and she was aiming to be in Byron Bay for New Year's Eve. And I was not really happy about this, driving that East Coast, you know, pretty dangerous, being Byron Bay for New Year's Eve. I know the type of people who go to Byron Bay. You know, it's drug dealers, bare-chested surfers, sexual predators. I did not want her to be there. I was very uncomfortable. And on the way, her combi broke down broke down just outside Coffs Harbour. And she was stuck on New Year's Eve, you know, with, no, with nowhere to go. And so we just put out the call to Christian Facebook and we found a Christian couple in Coffs Harbour who were able, who, who did not know her. A couple of ex-missionaries went down, able to help her out, get her car to a garage and take her home. And rather than spend New Year's Eve in Byron Bay, surrounded by surfers and drug dealers, she spent it with a missionary couple in their mid-70s and she was in bed by 10.30. Exhausted from the day and I would be lying if I said I was not a little bit happy about it. But that's hospitality. You don't, you, you don't do it for you know, your friends, you know, your best friend or your relatives. It's what you do for complete strangers and that's an expression of love. Uh, Then in verses 4 to 5, he continues, now talking a little bit about uh, money and sexual ethics. And this is is where the remembrance thing. As I was preparing the sermon, I actually remembered Reese preaching the sermon on the same passage. And I remember Reese's sermon because Reese's sermon recalled a sermon by Tim Keller. Correct. Okay. So this is funny. You've got one day you're going to remember Mike 
remembering Mike's sermon, remembering Reese's sermon, remembering Tim Keller's sermon. <laughs> so it sounds Jewish like, you know, Rabbi Bird told me what Rabbi Reese said in the name of Rabbi Tim Keller. Uh, but what Tim Keller actually said, and, and I think this is, a great, this is a great summary of these words here, which is be promiscuous with your money, but not with your body. I think that's a great saying. It's a very memorable, it's a very good summary of what's going here. Be promiscuous with your money, but not with your body. Uh, in terms of uh, not with your body, uh, anyone remember that website from a few years ago called Ashley Madison? Anyone remember that website? It's called Life is Short, Have an Affair. And it's basically for married people to hook up and have affairs. And, they got, and, and, it's, it, and then, then what happened was their data got leaked and we found about all the people who were on it including a number of prominent Christian leaders. In fact, one, one, one um, pastor in Canada, um, his name got leaked and he committed suicide. Uh, I mean, it's, it's sad, tragic, a uh, horrible thing. But what the men did not know is that 98% of the people who signed up to it were men. <laughs> there were no women there looking to have affairs. Unless you were having to have an affair with another married man, it was very slim pickings. In fact, Ashley Madison had to create all these fake female accounts to make it look like there were more women who were really, really there. Okay? I mean, and you, I mean you could unpack the sociology of this quite a lot, but it's really a sad uh, predicament. And a number of even Christian men thought they were going here looking for other women who, who wanted to have some sort of uh, tryst and the like. But that's the type of world you've, we are dealing with. And in your own life, your own ministry, you will face all sorts of temptations at a variety of levels to have inappropriate relationships. Now, I, I have to tell you, I am not a particularly handsome man. Uh, you, you may know this already. Uh, I do not have, uh, I have a face for radio. I do not have a lot, ho, uh, high emotional intelligence. But even I have encountered women trying to cultivate inappropriate relationships with me. And one thing I have learned from Christian ministry, uh, if you deal with um, hurting broken people of the opposite sex, if you take an interest in their welfare, they can get very clingy in very unhealthy ways. Okay? And you've got to be very alert to that. And can I say... Uh, uh, adultery or sort of inappropriate relationships is something you've, you've got not just be on your radar. This is something you should be afraid of, okay? This is something you should be afraid of. There are things that you should be afraid of. Swimming with sharks. I think you should be afraid of that, okay? Other things to be afraid of is reaching a point of, a point of your own weakness that can potentially ruin your marriage, your reputation, your entire ministry. There are certain types of sins. There is a one-strike policy, Okay? Because when you spit in the water, there is no going back to the well. There can be recovery from certain types of um, inappropriate relationships and certain types of sexual sins. But for people in ministry, we have a very high bar. Okay? And remember that. It's a one-strike policy. The other thing we're told to do is to be generous. Okay? Now, this can depend on where you are. If you're a, if you're a student li living on um, Centrelink benefits, you know, your capacity for generosity may be somewhat um, uh, diminished, uh, as it is. Um, but, you know, we're told to be, to be generous. We're told to help people out. 
you know, insofar as we have the ability. And this is Christological. This is, this is the basis of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. You know, when he's talking about um, the collection he's taking up for the saints in Jerusalem, he says, consider the Lord Jesus, though he was rich for your sake, he was made poor. So Paul actually gives a Christological grounding to generosity. I mean, you'll also be glad to know uh, that uh, some of you should have the capacity to be generous because did you know that the average income for a grad dip student is $150,000 a year? That's the average income of a grad dip student. The bad news, I'm pretty sure of the, the majority of those did not go into full-time ministry. <laughs> but, you know, there are, you, we can be generous. We have the capacity to help now that means being generous with your church, you know, how you contribute funds to the cause of the gospel locally. And then I think, you know, other parachurch things, whether that's CMS, whether that's Compassion Australia, we need, we need to be a people known for our generosity. In verses 5 to 6, um, uh, the author says the reason you can do this is because you know, God is on your side. God is for you. And he buttresses this with a quote from Deuteronomy 31 where God is speaking to the Israelites um, that, you know, he'll never leave you or forsake you. And then with the Israelites in the Psalm 118 speaking back to God that I can do all things because the Lord is my helper. And we can be content with that, the author says, because God is for us. God is on our side. It means no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And there will be moments where you'll wonder, does God really love me? Does God really hear my prayers and see my pain? We can say yes, because God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And that is the proof that God is for us. Okay? We can't think that God is he's holding back all the things I really desire. I mean, he, he could give me, you know, X or whatever it is, but he doesn't because he's stingy and he's mean. No, God isn't stingy and mean. God is for us, a loving father, okay? Christ our brother, the spirit our comfort. And if God is for us, we can take risks with our life. We can, we can do things that people thought we could, we could never do. I did not think I would ever go to university, let alone get a doctorate, okay? I still have, I have these moments of doubt. Why does anyone care what I think? I have these moments. But God took me, changed me, trained me, and, 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 and made me one able to speak the word of God in public, one able to write, speak, teach, and do the things that I do. When I was 17 years old, that was not on the agenda, Okay, God can take you and give you the, 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 uh, the abilities you need to conduct the ministry he's called you to do. God is for us. In verse 7, the author changes uh, tack a little bit and then calls us to remember, says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Uh, I don't think we do that enough. I don't think we do that enough. You know, remembering leaders. Now, when I think of some of the, the Christian leaders I've been around, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, pastors who have, you know, mentored me and looked after me. Um, you know, some of the lecturers I had in theological college. Um, what, what I remember about them most of all is not so much maybe precise things they taught, you know, about what, you know, certain person said about Romans or a sermon on 
on Proverbs 8 or anything like that. What I remember principally is how much they loved God and how they treated me. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the main thing I remember for their leaders. And, and to have to tell you, as a, as a Bible college you know, teacher, um, it, it's, it's sobering to remember no one's real, none of the students are really going to remember that exegesis I taught on Hebrews 2, 1 to 4, where I completely nailed it. No one's, going to, no one's going to remember that. But they will remember how I treated them uh, when, they, when, they, when, they, when they found out that their mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. That, that's what they'll remember, okay? They're not, going to, they're not going to remember the, 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 the details or some of the things I'm interested, but they'll remember the concern you showed them. And Paul, uh, Paul sorry, everything's by Paul. <laughs> and the author tells us to remember their leaders. And yes, you know, re- remember those who spoke the word of God to you. But that's not just it. Don't just remember their sermons and imitate it. But remember the outcome of their way of life and imitate them, Okay. So you, you've got to have good people in your life and, and do what they do, replicate their sort of ministry uh, in your own way. And you have to remember we imitate what we desire. So we imitate what we admire. Okay, we imitate what we admire. So make sure you're admiring uh, the right people because you will take on the traits and the qualities of the people in your life who, who you admire the most. And uh, I was very fortunate. When I was a young Christian, uh, I was discipled by a, 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 a new pastor fresh out of Bible college. And he really did, he was a few years older than me, he took me under his wing and looked after me. And, I mean, he saw my interest burgeoning in theology and, 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 and Christian studies and biblical studies. And when I, had, when I left the church as I was getting posted away from with the army, he gave me a copy of Millard Erickson's um, theology book. It's still a very good theology book. But he wrote a, a number of things on the inside. And one of the things he wrote was a quotation from 1 Timothy 4.16, which, which I think summarizes also what the author here is saying. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. If you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I think that, that's what we take away. Watch, watch your life Watch your doctrine closely and watch that of your leaders. Watch their life. Watch their doctrine. Okay. Watch how they live. And I let me say these two things go together because of, uh, I think it was, it, was, it was Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, who said, as you have lived, so you have believed. It's the, it's the type of life you live that shows deep down what you really believe, what you're afraid of, how you spend your money how you treat others, these are, in fact, statements of faith, statements of devotion. Uh, in verse 8, the, the author seems to, to drop in something almost randomly. Uh, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I've got a friend, for some reason, who tweets that verse every day. Every day, that's, he drops this verse from Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 8, every day. So it's like every day, I feel like I haven't been on Twitter if I haven't had Marty giving me his Hebrews 13, 8 quote. Uh, but it's something to remember. Jesus Christ is changeless in a world that keeps changing, that keeps, you know, is awash on a sea of, of inconsistency and you know, of, of endless chaos. Christ is the one thing we can be sure about. 
Okay, and, and, and in a time where there can be all sorts of strange teachings, strange ideas going around in the church and wider culture, what is the root for our faith is the unchangeability of Jesus Christ. Okay, in a, in a world of change, he is changeless. He is the sure foot on the ground, the anchor, the one stable thing we can cling to, cling to in a complex and different world, which sort of, you know, segues nicely into what, into what the author talks about in, you know, watch out for certain strange teachings. He says, it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which are of no benefit to those who observe such rituals. Now, this can seem really weird. What's the link between doctrine and food and rituals? What you've got to appreciate is that in the early church, the vast majority of their debates and differences were around the topics of food and fellowship. Okay. For example, can Gentiles, Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, can they eat together? Because some of this was problematic because the Gentiles were contaminated with idolatry, you know, immorality and that type of thing. And then if they can eat together, what type of food can you eat together? Can you eat food that's been sacrificed to uh, pagans, the sort of food you would get in the normal markets of Corinth or Ephesus? Now, these might seem somewhat strange to us, but underlying them was a certain theology of the body of Christ. Who are God's people? What is new in the new covenant? So, so the this is all those sorts of things. So it might strike us as a little strange and foreign. These do speak to certain theological realities that remember enduring. On the back of that, the author tells us also to remember Christ Jesus in verse, uh, in verse 11 who carries, uh, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy places of sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. And then note these words in particular. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Bearing the disgrace of Christ. When I was thinking about my uh, City on a Hill friends, who had a, a very difficult last week, let's be perfectly honest. It was a very difficult time for our friends at City on a Hill. But, you know, if you, do, if, you do, if you start doing the Lord's work, the devil will come looking for you. The devil will come looking for you with a big stick. And it was good to see my friends there, led aidly by uh, Guy Mason, keeping to the faith. Willing to bear the disgrace of Jesus Christ from a culture that looked down on them with hatred, with various terms of derision, a true hatred without reason. They bore the disgrace of Christ, and that's what we're all called to do. Not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to be ashamed of a Christ. Better the shame of Christ than the glory of the world. I would rather the shame of the cross than any, than any Oscar, any peace prize, any award that you could give me. I would rather the shame of Christ than all of that. And that, that's got to be our attitude. And then the author finishes off in verse 14 by reminding us that we're heading for a holy city. We have an enduring city 
the city of God that is still to come. Now, this is the sort of dovetails what I spoke about last week, about the, the mountain of the Lord, that, that place we're having a journey towards. I've recently been reading a, a, a terrific book by Peter Lightheart, and it's called uh, Theopolis. It's about the city of God. And, and I, I love this, this one line he says about the city of God, or this one, one paragraph. He said, the formation of God's polis is inherent in the gospel. Polis means city. Jesus didn't die and rise again simply to rescue us from the eternal torments of hell. He did that, but that was not the limit of his work. He died in order to break the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and form a new human race constituted from men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He is the new Abel who suffered outside the gates, not to found a Canaanite Babel, but to found a new Jerusalem. The good news is that Jesus has dealt with our sins and given us new life in the spirit. The good news is equally that Jesus has founded a new city on earth, a city visible as any city, full of real life men and women and children with real bodies and souls, a city with a real history. The gospel calls us to repent and seek the mercy of Christ. The gospel is fundamentally political. The church, God's polis, is embedded in it. So we can think of ourselves as the first colonists of God's new city. We can call other things the mountain of the Lord, the new Jerusalem. So let me, let me come to a close. Let me come to a close. There's, there's, there's so much in this passage we've been unpacking. But it's fundamentally about, you know, remember. Remembering Christ, our high priest, the sacrifice he's offered up. Remember your baptism. Remember the duties that follow from that. And, and for me, this creates a little bit of anxiety because I often wonder then, you know, when people are meant to remember their leaders, their way of life, I wonder how my students will remember me. What will they remember about me? Uh, will they remember my excellent dynamic teaching style? Don't know about that. Will they remember my sense of humour? Yeah, yeah, possibly. <laughs> Uh, but here's the thing. I also know that the memory of me will fade like chaff in the wind. Okay. Uh, one of the greatest scholars, this country, biblical scholars, this country has ever produced is Leon Morris. One of the greatest Christian scholars. But most of you, when you came here, had never heard of him. And maybe some of you have not read or cited any of his books. You know, scholarship is not immortality. Five, 10, 15 years later, after I pass away, no one's going to know who Mike Bird was or anything like that. But the ones who will remember me are the people whose lives I had an impact on. You know, there's going to be no grand memorial. What they'll remember is my way of life that I lived in Christ, whether my talk actually matched my walk. Did I keep to the race? Did I keep on running towards the new Jerusalem? Did I keep running towards the mountain of the Lord? And in that task, the author wants us to remember, wants us to remember who we are. We are baptized. God is for you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His sacrifice is for you. And remember your Christian duty. On that note, let's pray. Our heavenly Lord, we ask you to 
Be with us as we ascend the mountain, we enter the gates of this heavenly and holy city, and we would go into it bearing the shame of Christ if we must. But doing that and living out that, that fits us as the baptized people of God. In Christ's name we pray.